Um, so tonight, there's a picture up there probably, or there will be soon. And I, uh, I meant to print this because I can't see it and read it. But the, the uh, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, Santa Claus, who is, uh, he's, I, I, he may not be the Antichrist, but he's, you know, he's, he's in the office with all those guys. He's, he is definitely related, and he's one of the right-hand guys. And this is his World Economic Forum. And it was interesting that uh, he's talking about global governance. And he spins these things off of global governance. It says, I don't know if you can read those, trans, transnational actors weaponizing independence, anti-globalism, uh, power shifts that conflict, institutional complexity. And then you go all around the ring. These are the other things that they work on. And there's nothing on there that uh, doesn't impact your life every day. And everything, there's things like COVID and the vaccine. You know, all this stuff is all part of the plan. It's all uh, designed to get us to move us to a place that Klaus Schwab, Santa Claus, uh, probably thinks is good and, you know, will help people. And it's, uh, it's, it's clearly not. It's communism, socialism, Marxism, it's bondage, it's uh, destruction of humankind, it's destruction of everything you hold dear, you have to get rid of all religion, all God, there are no property rights anymore, I mean, all of this, it, and they're not even shy about saying it, they're explaining all this and the steps required, and, and it's the same thing that you get at the UN uh, 2030 plan, you know, because these guys are in lockstep and all this stuff, but it's, it's an interesting read and if you want to get a sense of uh, how things are going to go and why things are going the way they are going just spend a little time on the world economic forum web web page you know search world economic forum global governance and this page will come up and you can search any of that you want and it's just frightening or you can go to the un website unitednations.com i think it's un.com and type in uh, 2030 and you'll get the same thing. You know, it's it's all of the things that uh, the technocrats and the people like Klaus Schwab are trying to do to the world. And part and parcel to that is this pandemic. And the, you know, I'm I'm convinced that the um, the cure for the pandemic is the death of the world. But uh, anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about that. That wasn't where I intended to go tonight. But that's just the way it typed out. So that's where we're going. Um, first off, I want to say Damon called. He's a friend of mine in North Dakota. And he's the guy whose father is 84. And his, his stepmother, his father's wife, had a stroke some time ago, a couple of years ago. And he's been caring for her, you know, like full time in his house. for Anyway, it's a long story. And uh, he can't anymore. So Damon is moving him up to North Carolina to live with him. So he's, or North, North Dakota, <laughs> to live with him. All right. David's uncle was the guy that died. Yeah, his, his dad's brother, Damon's uncle, right, is the guy that died from the vaccine. And he was 87, I think, or, you know, whatever. He's an old guy, but it killed him. He took it in four days. After the second shot, he was dead four days later. So I'm sure that's just a coincidence. 
Anyway, um, I'd put him on the prayer list and prayed for him the other night. And he just called to say he wanted to tell me before tonight uh, to thank all you guys for praying because things have just been fabulous. His dad is, you know, his dad is going along with all this. He's, he was a little, you know, because he went down there to pick him up. So he had to get rid of all the stuff in his house. And I guess dad hadn't thought that through far enough. And so he's just taken trailer load after he took a trailer down there because he has to bring back their medical beds, you know, the ones that lift up and some other big things. And he figures Tampa has got to be the world headquarters for used stair lifts. So he's going to try to pick up a couple of those while he's there for his house because he's going to need them and stuff. But he had a rocky trip getting down there with some weird stuff. But now that he's down there, his dad is just thankful. And so anyway, he wanted to thank all you guys for praying and you for putting him on the prayer list, I think. And, you know, and we prayed for him last week. And then uh, Dave Baker, my buddy, the blind man, uh, he was telling me about, you know, his uh, brain tumor. And I guess it's at the pituitary, which is right here, I guess. Is that true? Pituitary gland? And it's pushing on the pituitary and it's pushing on the optic nerve. And he, he says when he, you know, he's got two computers because Brady sits over there and he sits over here and they look at his computer over to Brady's computer, talk to Brady, look at his paperwork and look back at his computer, stuff like that, that we all just do. And he still does it, but it takes time for it to register in his head and it makes him dizzy and nauseous. And there's all kinds of weird stuff going. He, the other day when I was over there, he's had a, had his a down jacket on. You know, because this, whatever is happening is making him super cold and, you know, and all this stuff. So anyway, he said they finally figured out what it was. And it's this tumor that's pushing on his pituitary and his optic nerve. And, uh, you know, they have to operate, but it's because I guess the pituitary is like right there. So they go in through your nose so they don't have to cut your head open, which I guess is a plus. Um, and they're going to you know, try to take it. And then they said, if it's all wrapped around the pituitary, then they got to take the pituitary. And if they take that, the pituitary controls everything, then you're on 12 million drugs for the rest of your life, which he's, you know, he's the tofu and quinoa guy who rides his bike, but, you know, he doesn't. So that's a little distressing to him. But he, again, wanted to thank all of you guys for praying for him and ask that you would continue to pray for him as he goes through all this. And he's a, he's a good Christian guy. And uh, he's going through it. It's, you know, it's no fun. And of course, this coincidentally started after he got his second uh, injection. So anyway, then another friend of mine called and he is, lives down in Colorado Springs. And he's, uh, again, it's been a, a bumpy ride to say the least. And his life is finally settling down and he's, he goes to Calvary Chapel in Colorado Springs. Uh, there's several. I can't remember which one he goes to. And anyway, they, it's a bigger one, and they're doing a Bible college. And he was so excited. He called me and told me he enrolled in the Bible college, and it's a two-year program, and they go once a day or one day a week, and there's tons of homework. And, you know, so he's very excited. So he said, I'm done. I can marry and bury people. And I guess I shouldn't have told him. I've already done that. You don't need a you know, in Colorado, anybody can do it unless you're related to the person. But anyway, that doesn't matter. I mean, any of you guys could start a bury him and marry him thing, you know, so. Uh, but anyway, he was he was so excited about the Bible college. And so I was quizzing him a little bit. 
And he says, yeah, the first year is going to be on the New Testament. And then we're going to get into the Old Testament. And I said, really? That's weird that you wouldn't start, you know, with the foundation and then work up. You would start at, at the end and work back. But, you know, in my mind, I knew what was going on is you tell the story that you want to tell. And then you go through the Old Testament to back up what you already said. And I don't know, he's very excited. And, uh, you know, the word never comes back void. So I'm sure it'll be, it'll be a good thing. But so Yesh and Yahoo 5511, it goes like this, and you already know this. So my word, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And that's, uh, you know, I don't often think of that. I, I more often think of, well, that's not right. You know, they're, they're understanding that wrong. And the reality is, and we've all done this, you hear the word and it doesn't matter that you understood it correctly or knew what it truly meant or whatever, it has an impact. And it has an impact on the people you talk to. And I, you know, I, I tend to get too wrapped up and well, you've got to know what it really means. But the reality is, you know what, if you go at it with, with a good heart and the word never returns void and the Lord has got things planned that you never have any idea what's going on. You're just uh, the guy out there, the girl out there, you know, doing what you think the Lord's calling you to do. And he works it all out, you know, for his benefit. And of course, the story I always like to tell is I was doing a rescue mission once and did the altar call and 22 guys came up. And I find out later that 16 of them didn't even speak English. So the Lord just works whatever the Lord works. And uh, he was very excited and I'm sure he'll learn lots and it will be it will be good, but it was kind of ironic that, that uh, you know, that verse is actually in the Tanakh and he won't get to it until next year. So Metanyahu chapter 7, uh, verses 24 through 27, it says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and do them, I will liken him unto a wise man which builds his house upon a rock. And as the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doth not do them shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall thereof. So what do you suppose these sayings are to which Yeshua was referring. <laughs> Obviously, the Tanakh, right? Those were the only, th there was no New Testament. There was no other information. It was all contained within the Tanakh. And it's just, you know, there's a million places and certainly in the New Testament where the disciples will say something like, you know, the, the word can be used for reproof or correction or teaching or, you know, all words or all the word is good or, you know, and all this stuff. And like this, you know, this is the foundation is the word, the sayings of Yeshua. Well, what are those things? All of those things that they talk about 
are the Tanakh. And most uh, people who call themselves Christians, I think, don't recognize that. They read these verses in the New Testament and somehow believe that the disciples are talking about these verses in the New Testament. Well, they weren't. They didn't exist until 30 or 60 years later, right? When all of these things have been compiled and written down and all these things that they compiled, there was nothing new. They, they, these guys, the, the disciples were just living out the Tanakh. That's the story of the New Testament. It's a picture of what it would look like to live with this foundation, to have your house built on that rock. If you knew those things and lived that way, your life would look like the lives the disciples were living. And that's, you know, so. Yeah. Well, this is stone is even in Hebrew. One of the words stone is even in Hebrew. And this is rock in Greek. So that was the first thing I wondered when I read this again tonight was, gosh, I wonder if that's even. And there's really no way to tell. I'm, you know, I can feel certain in my own mind that that was because they're Hebrews. I mean, they were, you know, they knew the Tanakh. So in my mind, I'm thinking that's what they meant. But unless I could find a copy of it written in Hebrew and then translated into Greek, I wouldn't know for sure. But yes, very good. I think that's probably what they meant because the solid foundation that you're building your house on is the Father and the Son, which is that word even, which is often translated as stone. And I was just, I'm just thinking about the house on the rock and stuff. And, you know, we don't often, or at least I don't, I mean, I'm not, certainly not the brightest bulb in the box. I'm sure all you girls do, but I don't really think about the idea of building a house. I mean, I've built houses, you know, and I can, I can build a house, but that's obviously not what they're talking about. They're talking about building the house of faith, the family, the wife, the children, you know, to focus on the truth and the word and, and, and all of that. And, you know, we're each building a house in that sense. And is that house built on that foundation of the word? And I think, you know, so many times it's not when you get right down to it. I mean, there, there are obviously there are many, 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 many people who have no concern about the word of God and they build their house on whatever they think is right. But I'm talking about the people who believe themselves to be followers of the Messiah. And I think a lot of times, you know, we all think we're building our house on, on the foundation. I mean, and we know from uh, the things that Yeshua said, a lot of times that's not true. The 10 virgins, five were allowed in and five were not. They all thought they were saved, but five weren't, you know, because they didn't, they weren't building their house on the word of God. They were building it on what they thought the word of God said. And to me, I get a little, and I shouldn't, but I sometimes get a little concerned about, um, you know, people that don't seem to be, that are being taught things that are not, uh, that are not that solid foundation. They're being, um, you know, they're being flannel graft, I guess. So, uh, but again, you go back to that first verse I read, and it may not matter because the word never returns back void. 
And so even if you're using it incorrectly or don't know the full story about it, it's not your deal. It's his deal. And he will find a use for it and, and do what he needs to do. And then one of the other things that, uh, that came up again, it's been a busy week, that came up again this week and has, you know, it comes up all the time, is I've been doing this for 30 years, right? Having people in my home or teaching on Wednesday nights or, you know, whatever the deal is. And it never ceases to amaze me how people can sit here for sometimes years and apparently not hear what I said, right? And to me, it's like, I said it once, I shouldn't have to say it again, but I will say it multiple times because uh, God says it's us multiple times and we tell our children multiple times and I have to tell the dog a thousand times, you know, we repeat the same things because they just didn't get it. So I don't know why I'm surprised that people can sit here for years and not get it. But, um, <laughs> you know, I get a lot of things from a lot of people and a lot of people send me stuff about how bad the Jews are. And the Zionists are terrible and they're running the world and, the, you know, the Rothschilds and the Madoffs and the, you know, and so what? There are bad people in every, in every group, you know, and and some of this stuff I get is just amazing. You know, well, you said that, you know, Israel is blah, blah, blah. And I just, it's, I mean, I, do you guys get this? Have I said to you and do you get? that the nation, the current nation of Israel is not the nation of Israel. It's in the Bible, right? Because that nation is started or created or comes of, of age when Yeshua returns. That's the Israel in the Bible. Just because there's a country right now that's called Israel doesn't mean it's that. It's the geographic area when Yeshua returns. He's returning there to Jerusalem. And he's got, you know, one foot on one side and one foot on the other. And he knocks down, what is it, the eastern wall or the western wall? I don't know where it is. And the, and the city splits in half with a big earthquake. And there's all this stuff happens. He returns to that city. And then he brings us there. He brings his people there. And for a thousand years, there, he, he rules and reigns on this place. And then after the thousand years are up, we get to go or the new Jerusalem comes down and, you know, we get our mansions and everything changes again. But there's no equivalent of the current nation state of Israel and the one that's to come. But I do support the current nation state of Israel, knowing full well it's run by a bunch of secular morons, just like every other country on earth. Those people have nothing to do with God any more than Sleepy Joe and, and what's her name? And, you know, if, you, if you're in government, you are probably have no relationship to the Lord. And I know there are some people that, you know, the occasional senator or congressman or something, that that's probably not true. They do know the Lord and they do know the truth. And they've decided to spend their life trying to, um, you know, swim around in the mud pit and somehow make it better. And amen and hallelujah. I'm glad there's people like that. But every country is dominated by godless, secular people that are on board with uh, Satan Klaus and Crime and Death Corporation. And all these people, they're on that team. They're on, they work for the prince of the power of the air. And there's just no, no uh, avoiding that. But, um, you know, and <laughs> I don't know how many times I said it. But I do know that there's a bunch of people that didn't hear it, and they don't hear it, and I don't know why. And I, I don't, I, I, guess I don't need to know why. I guess, 
But, um, you know, in order for you to be to the house of Israel, the ones that Yeshua comes to collect at the end of, of days, means you're a believer, right? You can be, uh, you can be a Hebrew, you can be a South Carolinian, you can be an Italian, you know, you could be black or white or Arab or, you know, it doesn't matter. If you believe, and, and, and the scripture is pretty clear that you have to have the testimony of Yeshua HaMashiach. You have to believe in this Jesus Christ dude, and you have to believe all that, you know, the Bible says that he's the son of God and he was raised by the father and he's, you know, ascended to the right hand and all of that stuff. You believe all of that stuff. And it says, you have to believe the commandments of God. Well, that's the Tanakh, the Torah, right? You, 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 one or the other doesn't get you there. You have 10 virgins, five of them got it, five of them didn't. You, when, when the disciples say, well, why do you speak to them in parables? Because they don't know. You guys get it. You know. I can talk to you differently than I have to talk to them. All through scripture, you see this picture of, there are people who don't know, and there are people that do know. And those are the only two people that are out there. And they're described as the house of Israel and the house of Yehuda. And it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with where you live or your genealogy. And one of these um, uh, videos I got today was, or not today, but this week was interesting because it was going into this, you know, and, and it was a bunch of stuffed shirt huge denominational Christian pastor types, you know, holier than thou types that uh, they know everything, you know, and they would get to the point where they would say, you have to be Israel. And then they'd pull it all back and it's the church that's saved, you know, and they can't, they can't let go of that idea of the church, even though it's not in scripture anywhere. When it says church in the new Testament, that's the word ecclesia. All it means is a group, a group of what? You know, you have to read the context to see, and the group they're talking about is always a group of people that believe, right? So it's an ecclesia, which gets translated as church, and then these guys, you know, whatever. But anyway, they did this long thing about um, each of us have parents, so there's two, and each of those parents have two, so now there's four, and each of those parents have two, so now there's eight. And so he works it back uh, 200 years, if you, if you say 30 years is a generation, Works it back 200 years. Well, now there's 1,048 of those people on the top of the line. Works it back another 300 years. And now there's a million and 200,000. You work it back another 300 years. Now it's a billion. And so by the time you work it to 78 AD or 70 AD, when all of this stuff you know went down, that, that family tree now has, it starts with the number 18, well, let's start at the other end. It's hundreds, thousands, millions, billions, trillions, zillions, gazillions, and whatever's after that, there's 18 of those. So that's how big that number is. And the point was, there is zero possibility that you are not genetically related to a Hebrew. <laughs> you have to be. And they go through all this stuff. Even if your family line is pure, every 500 years, there's a some sort of incursion, you know where you get some other blood in the, in the woodpile. There is zero possibility that anybody on earth does not have <clears throat> some Hebrew blood. So in some sense, we're all 
House of Israel genetically anyway, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then, you know, they went on to say, they talked to various verses and they would talk about Israel and you have to be Israel and all that. And then they reeled it back. They were so close and said, you, you know, you got to be, got to be the church. Um, so anyway, the enemies of Yeshua and Yahuwah um, have desired from the beginning, from, from the beginning, we've talked about uh, Cain and Havel, you know, the Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and uh, that uh, the Lord pronounced a judgment on the serpent that the seed of the woman was going to crush his head with her. He was going to bruise her heel. So the very next thing that happened is the seed of the serpent in Cain crushes the head of Havel of his brother to presumably change this curse around, to reverse it. And all through scripture, you'll see you saw it in Esau and, and uh, Jacob with the heel, you know, the heel on the head where Esau, Asaph was apparently trying to crush the head of the good sign, you know, and, and the enemy of God is always trying to kill the people of God because they can't get to God, right? Nimrod tried, he was going to build a tower up or a stargate. And, you know, the plan was to three groups go in and break in and kill God and kill the angels and put himself in power. That's always the plan, but they can't do it. So what they have to do is try to kill the people of God. So they don't know who the people of God are. I mean, the people of God barely know who the people of God are. So in lieu of knowing, they're just going to kill anybody who they deem to be Jewish or Christian. You know, that's enough for them. They'd try to kill all of us if they could, because they don't have, they don't, they don't know. They don't know who they are. So let's kill them all and, you know, let God sort it out, as the t-shirt says. Um, so Yeshenyahu 30 verse 1 and 2. Uh, chapter 30 is an interesting chapter. You should read that. It, it begins this way. Woe to the rebellious children, saith Yahuwah, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with covering, but not of my spirit, and that they may add sin to sin, that they walk down into Mitzrayim, and of course, Mitzrayim, Egypt, is always a picture of the world and the world's wisdom, that walk down into Mitzrayim and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of the Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Mitzrayim. And that's kind of the way it is. We tend to trust in the things of the world. I mean, you look around. There are people falling for this crap. I mean, it's just unbelievable because they, they don't think about it. They don't investigate it. They don't look at the truth but they believe the wisdom of the world. And by gosh, that's what, you know, that's what my garbage man said. So that's what I'm going to do. And it is, it's utterly ridiculous, but yeah, sheeple. Exactly. So if we skip down to verse eight, it says, uh, and this is the Lord to Yeshenyahu. Now go and write it before them in a table or a tablet of clay and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. So what he's about to say to these rebellious children is to them for sure, because they're rebellious, but it's to us because it's written forever and ever. 
This is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the Torah of Yahuwah, which will say unto the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, and get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Therefore saith the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this world and trust in oppression and pervas- uh, per- 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 thank you, what she said, perverseness, yeah, perverts, stay there on. Okay, the, this is written to the rebellious children, right? The word rebellious is sa'ar, and it means to turn away. So this is written to people who have turned away from the word of, of God. Um, And why have they turned away? Apparently because it's too hard. They don't want to hear the truth. They only want to hear the smooth stuff and the deceit. Does that sound like today? Nobody wants to hear the truth. In fact, you're, you're banned from hearing or saying the truth. If you say the truth, you get canceled on uh, YouTube or Twitter or, you know, wherever you are, you cannot say the truth. And yet, oh, we teach our kids to be critical thinkers, as long as they agree with me, right? Okay, so this word smooth is uh, kelka, and it means to flatter. So these people, these rebellious people that have turned away from the word of the God, they want to hear flatteries. They want you to say to them, oh, God loves you, which he does. It's not untrue but they're just flattering the people. The word deceit is the word manheth Allah, which is kind of a long word for Hebrew. And it means deception, of course, deceit, deception. But it's from the word hethalah, which means to cheat. So they're deceiving them. These, these pastors or friends or, you know, whoever's teaching them, writing books or on, you know, the televangelism channel or whatever that's telling them, oh, God loves you, it'll be great. They're deceiving and cheating them because that's true, but that doesn't do you any good. You know, I used to get in trouble all the time when we we had a particular assistant pastor who every time he got to preach, that was the only message he would give us, God loves you. And sometimes, I mean, we heard the same message four or five times, you know, the uh, the word and the four stones and their four plate, you know, all that stuff. And he would bring a pot up on, on stage with a plant in it. So you knew it, what you were going to hear. And he just wanted you to know that God loved you. And so every time I would ask him on the way out, you, you, you know, right, that God loves us all and that doesn't save anybody, right? You know that? And I would, you know, I'm the heavy, I'm the guy in trouble, right? <laughs> because you can't say stuff like that. You just need to say the smooth stuff, the deceitful, the cheating stuff, the people that want to hear that. They don't want to hear the hard truth. So this is not, you know, what we're experiencing now is not new. It's always been the way it was, I guess. People are always like that. People are people. And there are some people who only want to hear, you know, what's smooth and comforting and just delightful but that doesn't save you. That's right. It's too outdated. We have to move it up to the new century. Yeah. 
So when we used to have rich and famous friends that would send us to their rich and famous places, we used to go to a place in, in Mexico called Esperanza. And it's like one of these $6,400 a night places. And it's fabulous. I mean, it is delightful. They filmed several movies there. It's awesome. And in fact, when we, you land in Cabo, you go to the airport and there's a thousand Mexicans, you know, because they have, I don't know if you've ever been there, but you land and you walk off the plane and you go into this part of the airport that's locked off from the rest of it. And that's where you, you know, you do your uh, check-ins or check-outs and you go through customs and all that stuff. And then you have to walk through these doors into the airport. And it's like you're walking into the, the, the stock exchange. There's a million people waving towels and hats and screaming at you. And they want you to get a car. They want to take you someplace or they want your money or whatever. Senor, senor, where are you going? And if you say Esperanza, they go <laughs> and turn around and go movie stars. Which is, you know, if you ever have to go to Cabo, which is now the murder capital of the world, by the way. And you go through those those doors into the Esperanza is the word. That's the only Spanish word you need to know because they will leave you alone immediately. But we would go to this place and it's it's the weirdest thing. You'd pull up, you know, in your car and, and there's no lobby. It's just this big circle thing. And you kind of get out and you think, well, shouldn't there be somebody here to like check me in? And then, like in Star Trek, they just materialize. And all of a sudden, there's four of them, one at each door. And there's a couple more people to get your luggage and bring you fruit. And it's like, well, where did you come from? How did you even know? Or you walk down to one of the, there's only like 26 units there, but they have four pools. And you walk down to one of the pools and the little towel boys there. And you're scanning where there's nobody there you're the only person there right and there's all these lounge chairs at this beautiful infinity pool overlooking the ocean and you're thinking in your your own mind just talking to yourself where do i want to sit and so you you know i don't know what you do you look or i, I don't know whatever whatever you do the little pool boy's watching and he knows before you know where you're going to sit and he rushes out there and he puts two towels on the chase for you. I said, like, gosh, how did he know? Psalm 123. Unto thee, I know, it, it always ties into the Bible. Unto thee I lift up my eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. And behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hands of their masters, and the eyes of the maiden unto the hands of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon Yahuwah Elohim, until he hath mercy upon us. He hath mercy upon us, Yahuwah have mercy upon us. For we ex are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with scorning those that are at ease with the contempt of the proud. That's this picture. This guy is watching you so intently. He knows exactly where you're going to go and what you need. The people that are just, they're in the invisible transponder mode. They're watching you every move you make, because they, they want to be there before you actually know that's what you want. That's how we should be with God. And that's what this, this, this verse is. His servants are watching him intently to see what he does, 
hoping for mercy because we know in our hearts we are not worthy of any of this. We are contemptuous. We're, you know, we're, we would never get to heaven on our own. But we watch the hands of the Lord for his mercy upon us. And he always brings mercy if we follow after him and, and seek to, to learn about him. And I don't know if that's what we should do. But so many people think, oh, it's, it's, you know, I go to church, I tithe, I'm good. I don't need to watch for the Lord. You know, I, I'm in the book, you know, it's all good. It's like those five virgins thought it was all good too. They were there waiting for the marriage supper of the lamb and they ran out of oil, no spirit. Well, how do you get to be in a place where you think you're invited to the wedding and you don't have the spirit of God living in you, but you still think it's good? You have to keep your eyes on the Lord. You have to watch his hands and his actions, you know, and you have to know his word. And that's why the Bible says in Revelation, it says it specifically two times, three times, actually, if you count chapter 21, that in order for you to be that person that's invited through the gates to the wedding supper, you have to do two things. You have to have the testimony of Yeshua HaMashiach, which we all do. We all know who this Jesus dude is and what he did and all that stuff. And it says, it's not or, it's and. You have to keep the commandments. You have to know the Torah. So if you're going to do a Bible college, it makes perfect sense to not worry about the Torah and focus on the New Testament, right? Because let's face it, everybody today, especially the Calvary Chapel, is pretty familiar with the New Testament. Why wouldn't you start at the foundation? Why wouldn't you start at this other part? You have to know the commandments of the Lord and you have to do them. You know, you don't have to do them perfectly. It's not like you, you know, you achieve a certain score and you're in. You just have to have a heart to do them and to know them. And you have to know who Yeshua is and have his testimony. Well, we've got the whole testimony thing down. Nobody in this room's got a problem with the test. Nobody probably in any church in America has a problem with the testimony of Yeshua HaMashiach. We pretty much all know, and that's not true, but most churches know that they can call him Jesus and that he's the son of God and that he's our ticket to ride. But he's only half the ticket. You have to know the other half. No. Okay, so when I was talking about my friend and what I used to do, and she was just aghast that I would give all that up. And it's like, I, I didn't give anything up. The Lord just moved me. He used all that to get me to a spot where he could have me in a place where he could say to me, okay, stop talking about the why. Start talking about the truth. And, you know, I look back on it and that's really what I did is I was glorifying the lie because I was talking so much about evolution to prove that it was wrong. I don't need to, I don't need to talk about the lie. I only need to talk about the truth. So, you know, to me, that's what, and again, big deal, who cares to me, but that's what I think I've been doing is telling the truth so that the people who know, who have the testimony of Yeshua HaMashiach, but may not know the other part will know the other part. 
we can at least know we need to look in the Torah to find the commandments of the Lord. And it's not just the 10. It's a heart thing. Are you willing to live that way? Are you willing to live like those 12 guys did that wrote the New Testament? I mean, that's the message. It's not so much the words that they wrote, although they're important. The message is, can you live like they lived? Can you go into a place that's just, uh, that just hates everything about you and your God and happily preach the truth? And they did. And repeatedly they were jailed and beaten. And uh, I'm convinced Paul was killed three times and resurrected. Can you do that? Are you willing to do that? Are you ready to do that? Because I think we're going to find ourselves with that opportunity on our hands, the way things are going. Um, when you look at the, the things of Scripture and the people and, and their interactions with the Lord, and if you can step back and just look at those things, you, you rarely see, well, and this is not true, you do see these, but you, you rarely see, and this is never the point, where, where the Lord blocks tribulation from you. And we say, at least at our house all the time, you know, when the pass is, or the, not the pass, um, the canyons close, or sometimes it's the pass, or, or whatever the event is, and we can't get to where we're going on time. It's like, well, I guess the Lord was trying to protect me from something. And often he is. But the thing you see all the time in Scripture is that the people of God are going through tribulation. And he doesn't block it. He doesn't stop it, but he gets you through it. And there's a purpose in it, right? You learn and, and you know, what's going to happen when we find ourselves uh, taken to the camps or they come get your house or they take all the money out of the bank or they prohibit you from working or like in France, they say you can't buy food. What's going to happen then? Are you going to be okay? Well, Let's preach the truth, you know, in season and out of season. Or are you going to fold like a stack of cards? And I suspect those five virgins would have folded and five virgins would have stood firm. But I think we're going to get the chance. You know, does, is that going to mean that if they come and take your home or they come and take your retirement or the money in your bank or whatever, does that going to mean that God abandoned us? You know, of course not. Does it mean we're not good enough? We're not saved? Of course not. You know, we may witness our neighbors who do not know the Lord, who have no interest in knowing the Lord. They don't take their house because they got the action jack scene. Or, you know, I don't know what we're going to see. I know, I know what we're going to see is not going to be fun. And it's not going to be good. Um, you know, and one of the things that we used to drill into the high school kids <laughs> And it, like I say, you got to tell kids a hundred times, you got to tell dogs a thousand times, is be ready before you're in this situation. Is you have a bunch of high school kids with hormones raging and their brains not completely formed yet, and they don't know what's going on. The world's telling them one thing, and you know we're telling them something different. And we would say you have to think this through ahead of time. What are you going to do when? you're out with that guy and all of a sudden he starts, you know, doing what guys do. You have to know ahead of time. You can't make up your mind then. You can't work out an answer then. You need to have it ready before. You know it's coming. I'm a guy. I will admit it's coming. It's going to happen to you. So 
what are you going to do? What's your answer going to be? If you're a guy and you're, oh, I'm not going to do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, stuff happens. What are you going to do? Be ready before you're in the situation. And I would suggest it's the same for us. I mean, a different circumstance, but what are you going to do? What if, you know, they come knocking on your door? <laughs> Dan's already ready. I don't know that that's the right answer, but it's going to be different for all of us. But just be ready. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because the, the, the global governance thing is you can't own property. You can't own money. I mean, you can't own anything. Nothing belongs to you anymore. So what they're doing in Canada and several other companies, companies, countries, is they're uh, proposing this, proposing, it's already, you know, it's a done deal. They will pay off your mortgage and pay off all your debts. You will have no debts. Who wants to do that? Everybody goes, yeah, of course. I don't want any debts. Okay, excellent. I'll pay off your house. I'll pay off your credit card debts. I'll pay off your car. Yeah, and then they own the house. And then guess what? Oh, we can't have you living here anymore. Sorry. Uh, but we've got this great little concrete bungalow in uh, Alamogordo, New Mexico. And you know what? As luck would have it, we have a job for you sweeping the floors at the uh, government uh, indoctrination camp. Yeah, and they're already there, you know? And so that's what we're going to do. So we're going to move you. Oh, yeah, no, no, you don't need any money because we'll provide all the food and, you know, it'll be great. So you move into a little, you know, six by six concrete cell like almost everyone in the world lives in. You know, if you look in Moscow or Beijing or, you know, it's just nothing. But as far as I can see, these huge towers of concrete buildings and everybody lives in a little 600 foot apartments is exactly the same. That's the goal, right? To get you in that. What are you going to do when that happens? Know in advance. Uh, consider for a minute that we are supposed to learn from the Exodus generation, right? And what's the Exodus generation? Well, it started, well, where we picked up the story anyway, was they were in Goshen. And the, you know, the larger picture is, well, they're in Goshen and all this stuff is going on in Egypt. All these plagues and frogs and gnats and just horrible stuff, but they're in Goshen. And the Egyptians can look at them and say, whoa, why can't it be like that? But the reality of being in Goshen is they went through the first three plagues. So why won't we? <laughs> because, you know, Paul said we, we need to learn from them. So I suspect that whatever is happening, God will certainly protect us and will certainly use us as an example, like he did in Goshen to the people in the unsaved world that are going through just uh, brutal times. But that does not mean you're protected from all of it. We're going to have at least three plagues. There's going to be, and I don't mean literally three plagues. There's going to be stuff happening that will cause some to think, well, where's God in all this? How can this be? How can, how, how can they be dragging me out in the street and injecting me with stuff? How can they be taking my house and taking my children? You know, what's going on? Where's God in all this? And uh, he's there. But I would suggest there can be no freedom without first being in bondage. If you're not in bondage, if you haven't gone through stuff, if you're not, you know, then... And how would you know about freedom? 
you know, I think, uh, what's that lady with a gravelly voice that sang that song? Um, Bobby McGee. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to do. You know, how would you know? Yeah, yeah, there you go, Janice Joplin. How would you know what freedom is if you're not first in bondage? So the, the, the Exodus generation first had to be in bondage. They had to go through these plagues. They had to experience stuff before God could set them apart and say, hey, look, these are the guys. These are my guys. Okay, so don't, don't, don't be, you know, don't be put off if that happens. Don't think God's not watching because God is watching. God knows exactly what's going on and he's using you in the way he wanted to use you from before the foundations of the earth. And I've said many times, that's why we're here. You know, we could have been, he could have put us on the earth at any time during the history of mankind. And he chose to put each of us and our friends and the people that we know on this earth at this time, right at this time for a reason. And this is no coincidence. It's no accident. These things that happen to us will not be accidents or, you know. Okay, so let me read this one. We've read it before. Shizon, Revelation 6, uh, 5 and 6. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice from the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou not hurt the oil and wine. Okay, a, a penny is a day's wage and a measure of whatever is will make you a loaf of bread. So the time is coming when a day's wage will buy you the material to make a loaf of bread. Um, so just last week, or no, just a couple of days ago, um, I heard about the uh, inflation data deception. You heard about that? The inflation data deception? You know, ask the president and all the, you know, people in the government, well, what's up with this inflation? You're killing us. It's like, it's like we live in Colombia or, Venezuela or something. Every day, some of my products have gone up twice in a couple of months. Freight has doubled, you know. And they they said, oh no no, that's that's no. Didn't you see see uh, Sleepy Joe say, well hot dogs are less expensive this year. Eleven cents, dude. You could be making money if you're just eating hot dogs. Okay, so so far inflation looks like this: food is up fifteen percent, housing is up forty three percent, which is good for all of us. Transportation is up 16%. Medical expenses are up 18%. So those four things comprise 75% of the budget of most people. And the prices are sky high. So they had to come up with, well, why is this happening? And of course, it's not their fault. It's never their fault. It's the inflation data deception. Because you people um, are causing uh, demand for goods that you don't really need. So the prices are going up. And then you buy more of them because you're worried that they're going to go up higher so that you can buy them before they get more expensive. So it's your fault. Just just so you know. Yeah, and, and, and the unvaccinated. That's right. So that's the inflation data deception. They're, they're, uh, okay. But, uh, you know, don't worry. The seven dwarfs and Sleepy Joe are quick to tell you this is just transitory. Don't worry. It won't, won't, won't matter. Like that makes a difference when you have to go buy stuff that, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's just transitory. It'll go back. It's never going to go back. Have you ever seen anything go up and then come back? No, they never do. Um, violent crime, murders, assaults, rapes, and the like are at record levels and millions of people now that uh, the, the pandemic has 
shown them they don't actually need to go to work. They can work from anywhere. So if you can work from anywhere, why are you going to put your life at risk living in a big city? So millions of people are leaving because of the violence, the crime, the murders, the rapes, the assault. And I'm sure you saw Lori Lightfoot the other day. I mean, I don't know how she does this with a straight face. Crime is down in Chicago. Well, it's hard to tell sometimes. Okay, so there's a Chinese uh, social score. You know how that works. You have to do all the good stuff and none of the bad stuff and you get rewarded and you can move to a better concrete cube than the one you're currently living in. And you can send your child to a better indoctrination camp than the ones they're currently in. And they'll actually let you have two rats a month instead of none. So you get some fresh meat. Um, well, that's coming to London. They're now doing or about to do the same thing. They're going to do the same thing in Canada. Uh, Australia, New Zealand, this, you know, Chinese social credit score thing. And certainly it's going to come here if the people let it. I mean, but I don't see the people standing up. So it'll probably come here. And I saw an interview with some young Chinese woman living in China. I said, no, no, this is actually a good idea because it helps us all to live better lives and not do bad things. And of course, she had to say that, otherwise they'd destroy her social credit score. Uh, there's a new digital currency coming. Um, and it, don't worry, though, because they'll exchange it dollar for dollar for every dollar you have. You have $100,000 in the bank, they'll give you 100000 in the new digital currency. So no, no must, no fuss. You're down with that, right? That's a good thing? Well, the digital currency has an expiration date. It's like a... a a little card, you know, if you don't use it in time, then it goes away. Well, the reason is so you can't ever build wealth. You can't, you can't give wealth to your children. You can't ever accumulate what you can't save because you have to spend it. And when you spend it, they can tell you what you have to spend it on. And if their little accounting ledger says, well, you bought too much uh, red meat or too much wine, well, then they cut you off and you can only buy, say, insect food. And, you know, whatever it is they want you to buy, they'll remove all your debts, life will be easy and good, and they'll tell you where to live and where to work and where to go to school, and you should love it. It'll be great. Okay, that's the global reset. So you see people talking about that, Klaus Schwab, uh, UN 2030, you know, all that stuff. It'll be fun. We'll all just be great. So the technocrats will be, and, and they've planned this. This is not new. They've been planning this for 50 years. They've been writing it. They just never had the technology to do it before. Well, now they do. And uh, one of those technologies we talked about a year ago, March, was the quantum dot micro needle tattoo system, vaccine delivery system. Um, and that's the little thing that they could put on you. And it's got these teeny tiny little uh, micro micro needles, quantum dot micro needle vaccine delivery system. And they're made of sugar or silicone and they go in just below your skin and they, you know, they release the whatever it is they want to release. It could be vitamin D, it could be, you know, anything, but we know what they're releasing. And then the sugar disappears so that the little needles are no longer there anymore. And it's a tattoo. They can make it as a tattoo. So if they put that tattoo on your, say, right hand or your forehead or something, then you no longer need uh, your phone to show your, you know, your vaccination record or the little uh, cardboard thing that, you know, says you've been. In fact, those things aren't good at all because they're too easy to forge. 
But if you have this little tattoo on your hand or your forehead, that's distributing the stuff that they want distributed that they can activate with uh, Cinco Garcia, then, you know, life is good, right? What could go wrong? So what do you do? Any answers? What, what do you do? Is there, what do you do? Do you just give in and go with it or? That's why we all have guns. Well, we don't all have guns. We all have guns, but lots of America does not have guns. You know, I've been thinking, well, do you, do you get an RV and just not, not have an address, you know? And obviously what we've been talking about is, well, we buy a bunch of land where you can on water. So you have water, you can generate your own electricity and grow your own food, have the, you know, the cows and the sheep and the chickens and you know, I've got the chicken lady already lined up. She's ready to go. Um, you know, maybe you go to a place that's not, not you, you, the one thing you don't want to do no matter what is you do not want to live in a big city or anywhere near a big city. You need to be a gas tank away from a big city. And um, I don't know. So what do you do? You know, are you ready to live a life where you, and I know you are, so you don't need to answer. Are you ready to live a life with no cell phone, no internet, no contact with it, you know, you, we, and we, yeah, hallelujah, amen, and hallelujah, I'm kind of with you on that, you know, we put up a ham radio tower, and, you know, I mean, just be ready, things are going to change, we could be, if it's a good day, we'll be living like the late 1800s, if it's a bad day, we'll be in some gulag somewhere, um, you know, and it took, it, well, it, you know, I mean, that's what we've always wanted to do when we retire, is move someplace, we grow our own food, and have our own chickens, and you know, so this is not, I don't know, I think it's not, but then it raises the question, well, are you running and hiding? How, how, do you, how are you going to be Goshen? How are you going to be the guy, you know, speaking the truth to a fallen world if you're, you know, living at Novak's ranch, right? You know, I, I don't know. It took Stalin eight years, eight years after he took over Moscow and the big cities to finally get the people in the, in the country under his thumb. Now, I don't know if, if it'll be quicker or slower now. The big cities will be easy. All they have to do is shut the freeways in eight hours. All the food's gone. All the water's gone. They turn off the power. I bet you in 24 hours, all the snowflakes and liberals and, you know, communists and Marxists in all the big cities are begging for them to do anything they need to do to turn the water back on and give them some fried chicken. Oh, yeah, the toilet. Oh, my gosh, I hadn't even thought about the toilet paper. But don't live in a big city. Don't live anywhere near a big city. We live too close to a big city as far as I'm concerned. But, um, but I can guarantee you this, there will be more people willing to turn their neighbor in than there will be people willing to stand up and for the truth or for God. Um, there's a whole bunch of world governments that seem to be ready to collapse you know, certainly Lebanon, Syria, you know, that whole area, that's always been a disaster. But South Africa and Australia, um, possibly Canada, you know, they're, they're, in, they're in huge amounts of trouble. And they can't, they're, they have spent their way into a place where they can't ever get out because of all this pandemic stuff. And, you know, so it's coming. Okay, so um, there's my email address again. So if you want to hear what I'm about to say, send me an email 
if you're if you're not if you don't already receive my uh, login stuff and, and my typical email stuff, if you're one of the subscribers who's not on my email list and you want to hear what I'm about to say, send me an email and I'll send this to you. Okay.